Good day, Faith Baptist Church. We have um, Grant here with us. He is a, a theology student. He's doing his master's next year. He did some time as a chaplain for his college dorm, and uh, he's going to be taking up a position as a youth pastor next year. Um, <clears throat> so we're giving him an opportunity to open our weekly family devotion um, guided Bible study. We're going to be posting this every Wednesday, so um, listen out for that. Uh, and um, thank you so much, Grant, for being our guest today and uh, giving us the word. Okay. Well, my name is Grant Armstrong, like Clive said, and I am so excited to get to come and to speak with you guys and to share a little bit um, of a little Bible study with you guys. Like he said, I just graduated with my undergrad in a Christian ministries and a theological degree, and now moving on to get my MDiv over the next two years, and uh, then I'll go study somewhere uh, under a pastor in a church. So thank you guys for this opportunity, and if you guys want to, we're going to open up to 1 Corinthians uh, starting in verse 10 today, and then we'll be jumping around the whole book of Corinthians. So if you guys want to open up to that section, that's where we're going to start. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. It reads, Now I ask you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brothers, by those, by those who are of the household of Chloe, that there are, no, there are contentions among you. Now this is what I mean. Every one of you is saying, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. I also baptized the house of Stephens. Besides them, I do not know whether I baptized any, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So this uh, few verses, 10 through 17, is going to explain as we jump around the main theme of what 1 Corinthians here is, is highlighting for us. See, this word that is key in verse 10 says that there be no divisions among you. This word divisions is crucial because we might be thinking oh, well, it's uh, just them fighting, or the Bible might say quarreling, or it's them choosing sides, or they're in an argument, but it's a lot deeper than that. See, see, the Corinthian church was divided into, as Paul mentions, some followers who claimed to go towards Paul, and some 
a man who came through who preached named Apollos or Cephas, which is Peter. Or some were saying, we don't need any of them. We need a, a Christ himself. That's who we follow. And Paul is kind of showing, why are these divisions among your church? And especially this word divisions only occurs eight times in the entire Bible. And five of them are in the Gospels. And every time that divisions is said, it's in referring to Jesus arguing with a Pharisee. It says that they became divided against Christ, that they would um, cause a division and then they would have a huge fight and they would basically reject the message of Christ. So this word is highlighting something that is so much deeper than just their fighting. They're actually going against Christ. They're actually looking more like Pharisees, more like the people who crucified Christ than Christ himself. And then it says in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent words, not with eloquent words, least the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Other translations, other places might say the, the power of the cross is empty. So if you guys want, this is the first question I want you guys as a Bible study to discuss, is how can we empty the cross of its power, spend five minutes, seven minutes just talking about that, together, pause it right now, and then come back and answer that question. What, how could we empty the power of the cross? How could it be made of no effect by using wisdom or eloquent words? If you guys want to pause it now. Okay, well, hopefully you guys had some fruitful discussion on that. We're going to dive into that idea now. How could we empty the cross by using eloquent words? How could we uh, lose its power or lose its effect? See, if we lose the effect of the cross, it's not by human might that the gospel is proclaimed. It's not by our strength. That, that's the main thing that Paul is telling the Corinthian church because they were so disunified. They looked completely unlike Christ. And it was because they were focusing on human strength. See, we think human might, and we think the power of the cross, the effect of the cross, comes through military might, was an idea in, in Jewish culture, that, that we think the military is what keeps us safe. Or you might think the, the power comes through eloquent words. They were divided in the church over who was the best speaker. They even were standing up during communion and judging uh, the, who gave the greatest speech. And they would clap and applaud for that person. There was such fragments and wrong intentions in this church. And it was all about self-gain, self-glory, what makes me look good. And here Paul is showing us the power of the cross is not by gaining recognition. It's not by puffing yourself up with knowledge. It's not about who's the most sophisticated, who's the strongest, who revile or who uh, 
the best word for it, who can turn away from temptation the quickest, know the power of the cross is self-sacrificial love. And this is where we're going to start jumping around because Paul's looking to heal the divisions of the church and cast out the immorality that's happening in the church. So he's showing the power of the cross is love. See, chapter 13 is a huge chapter in Corinthians. It's all about the love chapter. I'm sure you've heard it read at weddings. If you've been in the church for a while, you know this. It's talking about, man, if you spoke in tongues of angels, had all wisdom in the world, if you gave your body to hardship, yet you didn't love, you resulted to nothing. And it explains that love is patient and kind and goes down the list. See, Paul is showing here, as he talks through all of them, this is the power of the cross. It's love. But then he highlights it in chapter 15. And that's where I want to sit on for a second and show us, well, what then is the power, what is the, the, um, what is the effect of the cross? What makes it strong? What makes it attractive? It's not our power. Rather, it's that Christ would lay down his life for you and me. Philippians 2, <clears throat> Philippians 2 explains it so well. He talks about the humility of Christ, that he created us. That God would create us, and then he would have the humility to become like his creation. And then he would allow his creation to reject him and torture him and then kill him. And then out of love for us, he would rise again from the grave that he would defeat death, he would put death to death, he would put death to sin, that he would put an end to the human condition that is struggling and going away from God out of pure love, that Christ would give himself fully for us, always serving, submitting to the Father out of great reverence and love for him. That's the power of the cross. It's not by your recognition. It's not by your status and your gain. It's by how much you lay down your life. That God who had everything would give his life for us who were worth nothing. But we were worth everything in his eyes. So he would die for us. Take our sin. And then he would give his Holy Spirit to transform us to sanctify us in this life, to make us new, to join with us. So when we see the resurrection, what does that do in us? This, this love from Christ, what does that look like in Christian community? Well, the love that is fleshed out then is given to the church. And we see this in chapters 11 through 14, Paul is highlighting, what are you doing in public worship? He talks about the Lord's Supper. He talks about prayer meetings. He talks about um, uh, order of worship. And finally, he, in the middle of this, it climaxes in this section with what is love. 
And that's where I want to ask you guys these questions and give you time as a family to um, begin to think about and challenge one another with this idea of participating in this love of Christ so that we would not be divided and look like Pharisees, but we would look like Christ himself. See, we see that when we meet together, what it's showing us in 11 through 14, when we meet together as a body of believers, the main highlight, the main principle is love. And we don't want to just think when we meet on a Sunday morning, see the ecclesia, what it means there is that the, the body, the, the people is is anywhere. The church is not the building. It is where we are meeting your house with Christians in it, with these believers. You are a church. When you have Christian friends over, the church is meeting. When you go to worship on Sunday together in a building, the church is meeting together. So what is the key principle of the church? It's to look for sacrificial ways to give to people. And that is what I want to challenge you guys with and ask you a couple questions because we live in a life that encourages us to consume things, to evaluate sermons, evaluate the way you worship, and yet how often do we come home and think, how can I serve the person here? How does my wife need to be loved? Let me lay down my life for her. How does my husband need to be loved? How, how can I lay down my life for him Children in the house, how do you think about how you can serve your parents? Parents, how can you serve your children? What's your first thought when you walk into Sunday worship? Is it how can I serve the people or what can I get? Are you thinking, ooh, that sermon wasn't what I needed? Or were you looking to pray for people? Were you looking to lay down your life for one another? So I'm going to give us four questions and, and kind of challenges on this. So after every question, I'll ask you to pause and you guys can talk about it and then resume play and we, we, we can talk over the next question. The first is, do you need to repent out of a place of selfishness when you come home to the church? When you come to your house, that's the church. When you meet with Christian friends, that's the church. Is there a place that you have continually been selfish? Think on that. When you come home, are you thinking, what do you need? Or are you thinking, how can I give? Is there a place that you've been selfish? And confess that with one another and ask for prayer right now. For when we bring light into darkness, that's when Christ transforms us. It is a good thing to confess your sin. Is there a way there that you can receive prayer that you have been selfish when coming home? Talk about that. The second question I have for us to discuss, have you been a consumer in your family, in your church? Think about that. Have you been thinking, um, have you been thinking, what can I get? What do I need? Or, or do you want to be transformed and do what can I give? How can I pray? How, what, what do you need? Pastor, what do you need? Congregation, uh, Member, what do you need? Brother and sister, how can I serve you? Have you been a consumer 
in your church and your family? And what are the implications of that? Talk about that. The third question I have, have you seen unity as a priority between Christians? That you guys, as Paul says, he wants you to be completely or perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. This is the same prayer Jesus had in John 17 for us. This is not that there isn't differences. It's rather that Christ's power, Christ's love for us is so much greater than our differences. So has Christian unity been something that you have prioritized in your life? And you get that through the sacrificial love. So my question is, has unity been a priority? And dream about that with one another. What would it look like if you guys were unified towards Christ? Dream. Think about that. I want to give you guys some time to talk about that. Pause it and then come back for the last question. My final question is look for a specific place in your life that you can start to love people practically. Where are places in your life that you can practically lay down your life? Is it doing dishes? Is it making a meal? Is it committing to prayer for a person? Is it um, encouraging your child in a place that they may have been struggling child is it a way of serving your parents doing something without having them ask you too many times how can you practically starting tomorrow what is one to two things you can do to walk in this love that Christ has that he would lay down his life let us participate in that so find practical ways and then finally, I would like to pray for us once you're done discussing uh, that fourth question. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to come together as a body and be unified, to know that you love us, to participate. God, we need your strength. We are broken and unable to love without you. So God, would you... Fill us with your love so that we could give to others freely and not need to take in for us selfishly. In your holy name, God, pour out your love and your spirit upon us and do a great work through your church. Unify it, Father. In your name, amen.